oh, hey, the draft is this weekend, or as the Ontario Hockey League likes to call it, the priority selection. Why do they call it that anyway? It's a draft. We all know it's the draft. Anyway, it's happening this weekend. And because of that, we're bringing you some bonus coverage here on this episode of OHL Stories. Earlier this week, during one of our Rangers Knights playoff broadcasts, in fact, Ben Whittle, who is the head OHL scout for HockeyProspect.com. Ben watches all of the players that will be coming into the Ontario Hockey League for HockeyProspect.com. And Ben joined us on our Rangers Knights broadcast uh, this past Tuesday. Mike Torquia was on that broadcast with me, Mike Farwell, and we had a chance to chat with Ben about the prospect pool this year, find out how deep it is and who some of the top prospects are coming into this weekend's priority selection, a.k.a. draft. So we thought we'd add some bonus coverage onto this episode of OHL Stories before Popper and I get on with a look at the league this past week and then, of course, on to our guest who played in both the Eastern and Western Conferences of the OHL and went on to a pro career, too, drafted in the second round by the Carolina Hurricanes. All of that still to come on OHL Stories with this week's episode. But first, a little bonus for you and a quick preview of this weekend's draft. Our good friends at HockeyProspect.com watch it as close, if not closer, than anybody else in one of their scouts. Ben Whittle joins us to take a look at the OHL draft pool. Ben, it's great to get you on the broadcast. Thanks very much for making time for us. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I always love uh, to chat the draft with anybody who will listen. So, yeah, happy to happy to be on here. I am absolutely all ears when it comes to this. And I wonder, Ben, is it Michael Misa and then everybody else? Or I'm hearing some things that it's actually a pretty deep pool this year in the OHL. I would agree with that. Yeah, I mean, Michael Misa, he definitely stole the show um, right at the end of the season there he, with his MVP performance in the OHL Cup. Um, he, he's the sixth player granted exceptional status, as I'm sure most of you know by now, but he um, he really left Hockey Canada no choice, right, with that, with that performance in the OHL Cup. MVP, like I said, um, it's really what separates him at, at such a young age is just his acceleration. He's, uh, you turn it on, and he, he really uses that first three steps to get ahead. And to play with, at such a high speed with such a high level of skill and awareness around the ice for where his teammates are, um, I truly think it was the right decision by Hockey Canada to give him that status. Um, it was well-deserved after a, a tremendous year um, throughout, from start to finish and really culminated in, in that performance at the OHL Cup there. So, um, But, yeah, like you said, I think, I think the whole pool is very strong. We actually saw today Michael Hag, another high prospect. He, he's our number two rated prospect on our big board there. Um, he tendered an agreement with the USHL uh, Chicago Steel there, but as I know some of your Kitchener fans would know with Carson Raycroft last year, that doesn't always mean much, right, if you get to the right team there. So, uh, you know, that'll be an interesting storyline to follow throughout the draft just to see um, where he where he might slip to because he's a, he's a high-end, skilled guy, um, truly, truly makes the other players around him much better, and um, just somebody that, you know, he, he can receive any pass on the go. He's got great skating. He can score from anywhere. Um, he, he's performed even at the OJHL level already this year with a 2-2 two and two performance um, in, in that game there. So, yeah, just a, a very interesting aspect of the draft that, that we should see. Um, another really high-skilled guy who was actually at the top of our board for, for a majority of the year was um, Malcolm Spence, a, a teammate of uh, Michael Misa there for the championship Mississauga Senators. Um, you know, two words that don't often go together, but puck hungry and goal score. And that's what you get from him. He's a, he's a real workhorse out there. He's always tracking the puck. Uh, one of the better winger prospects I think we've seen in the GTHL 
uh, for quite some time. So that is my region. So I, I focus on it pretty heavily. Um, yeah, he's a he's a stud out there. So he, he's really he's very fast. He's got a lot of power, and his shot is absolutely incredible there. So some of those top three guys are um, they're they're very special, and I think any one of them who who you know you get at any point in the draft are, are definitely guys to look out for. You know, Ben, I know that London fans love listening to my broadcasts because they love to hate yeah. me, and then Rangers <laughs> fans love listening because they love the Kitchener Rangers. So since we're sure. focused a lot on the Rangers, it can go whatever the team's needs might be. I'm thinking the Rangers might be in the market for a D-man this time around, but who are you seeing in that 8-12 to 12 range that might pop into the, the fold for the Kitchener Rangers here? Absolutely. So, I mean, if you're looking for a defender, I, I do think there is some highly talented offensive defensemen in this draft. Um, you could go a few ways with that, but one kid who, who's not in my region, but somebody who stood out in every viewing was Benjamin Danford from the Quincy Red Devils. And he's a kid, he's 6'1", 175. Uh, so he's got pretty good size at the back end, but he's definitely an offensive defenseman, 100%. Um, he, he shoulder checks everywhere. He's got great on-ice vision of you know, identifying a first breakout pass where he needs to go or just that you know offensive zone vision to, to make plays and be a definite power play one at the next level for sure. And his, his feet um, for his size are pretty incredible. Another guy who you know, I, I've seen a lot in, outside of the GHL was uh, Lucas Karamis of the Brantford 99ers. Led the alliance, you know, that region out there where you guys are in goal scoring this year and points. Um, average about 2.5 points per game and just a, a pure goal scorer. He, he can do what he wants. Good motor on him as well. He, he competes hard game in and game out, but he's somebody that uh, he knows proven how to put the puck in the net for sure. So I think those guys might be in that 9, 8, 9, 10 range there. So, you know, I, I would run to the board if I was pitching there to get one of those guys. Absolutely. You know, I'm thinking about the season that we're just finishing up here in the OHL, obviously the double cohort after the missed season last year, and I'm wondering if that has impacted at all the players that will be drafted into the O this year, these players that you've been watching. How would you characterize this draft class compared to years past? Yeah, it's a great question, Mike. Um, obviously, going back to last year, it was super challenging, right? Very limited viewing of, of the kids. Um, and this year, I kind of thought a similar thing was going to happen, but truly, I, I, I don't think it happened. Um, I, they, they really, you know, you could tell the, the off-season work was really there. Um, I do think it's a gifted group of kids um, all the way through 1 through 20, I think, in that first round. You're going to get somebody who works hard, who's pretty special. And I think all of them were very hungry to get back out on the ice. So I don't think, I, I, I don't think it's going to impact um, too much. I think a lot of them are going to be ready to go right into the, right into the OHL level, like, one kid, for example, um, he's one of the kids that I, I truly like the most throughout the entire draft process um, from start to finish. His name is Porter Martone. I know his uh, his dad played in the OHL, I believe, for the Peterborough Peace. Um, he's a do-it-all kid, right? He Right from the get-go, every single game, game in, game out, you could tell he missed playing hockey 100%. So he, he's um, two-way forward. He, he actually plays on the wing, but I do see him transitioning to a bit of a center role as well um, because cause he can do it all. He can win face-offs. He's a goal scorer. Uh, great size, skating, vision. Um, somebody like that, you know, championship teams that junior Canadians. Unfortunately, they fell short in the OHL Cup, but they did win everything else this year. And he was a he was a straw that threw a drink on that organization there. Hey Ben, uh, real quick question: This is Mike Torkey yep. here. Um, what about uh, for the local fans in this area? Anyone uh, to look out for locally in this region, like uh, the Kitchener Waterloo Cambridge area? For the local people who are interested in the draft, 
Yeah, so, I mean, you did mention them before, but I, I will have to maybe dip into the junior pool of the London Knights there. Um, they do have the probably the best kid from, from that alliance, other than the Kermis kid, but the, uh, from the alliance region is Jet Luchanko. So he's a, he's a hardworking, very skilled center um, and, and winger as well prospect. He, he's highly intelligent. He works very hard. He's a great goal scorer as well. He gets a little bit tight, so his shot is something that he could definitely work on, but he's shown the ability to finish in tight. Uh, but he's an excellent playmaker. He's got tremendous vision, so I'm not sure if um, your fans will be too happy with uh, the next London night on their team there, but he's definitely somebody that could fall in that range as well. Just thought I'd check as we uh, started off this week's pod, Popey. Are you planning on taking any more games off? Because I got to tell you, no, no offense, but getting back in that booth with Mike Torquia a couple of times over the past week was a lot of fun. That man still loves the game, knows it pretty damn well. Listen. I am very self-aware. At least I tell myself that I am. Mike <laughs> Torquia can do a better job broadcasting an OHL hockey game with his eyes closed than I can. Okay. I have no qualms saying that. The man is awesome. I will I don't have a bad word to say about him in any facet of the manner. But I don't know if I'm missing any more games <laughs> because I don't know how deep the Rangers are gonna go. We're in a two-two series here and I don't know. Some people calling the Rangers for an upset before the playoffs are probably thinking that they're looking pretty smart right now, but still a best of three and you still have to win at least one in London if you are the Kitchener Rangers. So uh, if I'm missing any more games, I'm not sure. It depends how long the schedule goes. But as far as the first round matchup schedule, the answer to your question is, sorry, you are stuck with me for the next three. We're just going to have to find excuses to get Torch back into the arenas, back onto broadcasts from time to time. He's been on this podcast before, but he's just a, he's just a treat when it comes to the game. There's no doubt about that. Well, I, we'll I sent the text, sorry, Mike, just real quick. I sent the text to our boss saying that I was going to miss the games and I threw out, I said, maybe you could ask Torch. That would be my suggestion. And I looked at it and I was like, am I texting myself out of a job? <laughs> I think Torch made it pretty clear that he's done with buses. He's done his time. And, you know, much like you've said over the years too, but uh, he may have ridden a few more, but yeah, he, he, there, more. there is a, there, there is a number of miles, although I don't know how Don Cameron never reached those number of miles, but anyway, it is, it was fun. Torch, obviously a great guy. And if you haven't heard that podcast yet, Oh my goodness gracious, just go back and find it in our archives. Cause uh, he's one of the beauties that we've definitely had on this podcast. We'll, we'll obviously talk more about, You've mentioned 2-2 in the Rangers' nights and some people picking before the playoffs that it might be an upset with the seventh-seeded Rangers winning the series that we're covering. Uh, some other ones there that people might be less feel, feeling less smart about. I'm thinking Flint Owen Sound specifically. I had somebody tell me it was going to be the attack in four, but we'll get into the rest of the playoffs in, in, in just a sec. Obviously, this is also uh, draft weekend, so Michael Misa and the rest of them is how it's going to go, right? <laughs> Yeah, and it was. And no, to no one's shock, Michael Misa gets um, exceptional status, and he is taken first overall. Announced, we're recording this on Thursday evening. Um, announced today that obviously, yes, Saginaw is taking him. Talent aside, I, I don't know enough about any kid in this draft other than Michael Misa because he was breaking someone's records named Connor McDavid. That's going to make anybody take notice. But the biggest thing about Saginaw taking Michael Misa is you essentially get an extra year out of the player, right? So it, you, you almost have to take him, you know, other than Ottawa not taking Sean Day, just because you get an extra year out of the, your player. It's an extra year asset that you have that you normally wouldn't get. You know, it's funny you say that because I remember a conversation many a year ago 
with Steve Spot when he was the head coach and GM in Kitchener. And, and he talked about that's when we started seeing more and more players taken up to the NHL as 18 year olds. And he talked about how difficult that made it as a general manager in the Ontario Hockey League when you're trying to kind of figure out your team and you're doing your forecasting. Is this going to be a two year player with my team? And what's the impact if he is? So, yeah, three years. I, Look, it, it doesn't sound like much, two versus three, but it means a ton when you're planning your team and, and plotting out how things are going to look a couple of years down the road, for sure. Absolutely. And that's where the difference is. Like whether, you know what, let's say they had player X slotted in at, slotted in at number one. If it's close between him and Misa, if Misa's right here and this other kid is right here, you take Misa just because you get that extra year and you hope that extra year he gets even better. Um but I, I, everything you hear from this kid, it was not even close whether he was going to get exceptional status and it wasn't even close whether Saginaw was going to take him. So I just hope he can handle the pressure. And I know he's got a good supporting cast there. Obviously, Joey uh, Bateno, uh, with his new position, he'll help the kid out. Uh, Dave Drinkle, the general manager, Chris Lazary, he's insulated with some good hockey people and some people that will help him through the process. And I wish him nothing but the best, except for when he's playing the Rangers because nothing sucks worse than a ride home from Saginaw when you didn't win. Ooh, good point. Good point on that front, for sure. I had a great chance to chat this week, or I had a great chat uh, when I had the opportunity to chat this week with um, Ben Whittle, who follows the OHL draft for HockeyProspect.com and the scouting service. And uh, he says a pretty deep pool. So we're going to, I think we're going to see some talent come through in, in not just the first round, but maybe even beyond. So yes, me says head and shoulders above the rest, but uh, certainly you're going to find some from ge- some gems in this draft. He's found a lot of guys that, that he's enjoyed watching in their draft year as they come into the Ontario Hockey League. So it's great to see. Obviously, we just finished the year with the double cohort, kind of start seeing some normalcy return. And and maybe we're still seeing that normalcy in these OHL playoffs because I, I came in all gung-ho, Popper, and I know we're not close to done yet. Well, Ottawa is. Hope you enjoyed your four-game ride through the uh, postseason. But uh, I'm not feeling as optimistic about the upsets that, maybe we would see as I was coming in. I just thought maybe it's going to be one of those fluky years, but Kingston's taking care of business. I kind of, I kind of like Oshawa there and I know it's only two, one, but Owen sound Flint is another one. I heard a lot of people saying that it wasn't going to take too long for the attack, especially the way they came into the playoffs to, to finish off the Flint firebirds. And, and here we are, as we record this in a two, two series there. So uh, maybe not the kinds of upsets we expected, although it's still obviously not the end of the first round yet, except for Ottawa. At this point of the playoffs, there is only one team eliminated. And that was the team that you selected as an upset, Mike. But well, I did. And that honestly, it was strictly for poops and giggles. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to take it back, but I mean, I really did think that Oshawa would make it interesting against Kingston and at two, one, as we record this, maybe they will. I, I do think Owen sound will win their series, the six over the three uh, with the Flint firebirds, but, having not seen the East at all this year and just really hoping that Dave Cameron can coach defense, the Ottawa 67 through a first round matchup with the North Bay battalion. Clearly I was right out to lunch on that one. So just give me, give me two other upsets. Okay. Like give me Kitchener over London, give me Owen sound over Flint and I'll be happy, but who knows? It's allowed. I just had to point it out. That's all. Cause I said, I wouldn't bet against. Adam Dennis. I learned that lesson a long time ago. Never bet against Adam Dennis. Oh, but his uh, name's going to come up in this podcast. He told the story when he was on the podcast. Now you get it from the other perspective. Great story. 
you'll know what we're talking about when we get to our guest this week. But uh, yeah, it's fun. It, you know, makes me think real quick that our guest this week may have committed some, like if, if he had done this in the streets, it would have been a crime. You, you, you would be in legal trouble for that, which gives me an opportunity to remind you that our partners on this podcast and uh, the sponsor of this episode is Waterloo Regional Crime Stoppers. Always remember that it's a bunch of volunteers that are behind this board of governors for Waterloo Regional Crime Stoppers and, and the Crime Stoppers organization in, in your community as well. And they do a lot of fundraising to raise the money that pay out those tips that you will be paid for when you call 1-800-222-TIPS and report something that you have seen. Help police do their job more through the use of Crime Stoppers. Your anonymity is assured. That is a guarantee. And you can help out these folks and, and help out your community at the same time. Find them online at waterloocrimestoppers.com. Love it. And shout out to Sarnia for picking up a game. I don't think they're going to win another one. I'm just saying that Windsor Spitfires came into the playoffs as an absolute buzzsaw. And for Sarnia to pick up a game as an eight seed, just got to give them the credit. A few people wrote off the Guelph Storm after losing two games convincingly against the Greyhounds in the Sioux, but they come home, win game three on home ice, hoping to do so game four tonight. I just want to point out, if anybody didn't see it, Braden Guy um, got an assist on the 5-3 goal for the Storm. It was, I, th- I believe it was an empty netter as well. It was. Sue pulled their goalie, and then Brandon Guy, the captain of the Storm, scored the 6-3 goal, but he scored it from inside his own zone. Wrist shot went bar down from his own zone. It was pretty sweet to see. You don't see that too often. That's all right. That's yeah. all right. The Hamilton Bulldogs look on the eastern side like we expected them to look up three Cobb again as we record this over Peterborough. That's still the team that I think Popper is the team that you're going to have to go through if you want to advance to the Memorial Cup uh, down in St. John's this year. So uh, they look, the playoffs only get harder after round number one, but they look uh, every bit the part of a title contender. And and I'm with you on on Windsor in the West, but we talked about it with, with the goaltenders they have there in Sarnia and Benjamin Godreau obviously put in a pretty strong performance in game number three to get the sting that game. I'm not saying it's going to be an upset, but when you have goaltending like that, anything can happen in a given game. I'm with you. I wanted to bring some, we didn't talk about this. I just wanted to bring up that Hamilton, obviously I'm with you. I, in my mind, it's such an easy pick, but I'm, I, if I was into predictions, I would expect to see an OHL final with Hamilton and Windsor. That's my outlook. Um, but our good friend, Jay McKee, not one of the finalists for coach of the year, James Richmond gets it in the Eastern conference. Your thoughts. A lot of people wondering how Jay McKee was overlooked. Uh, it happens this way all the time, right? Oh, it's easy to coach a team like that. Popper, didn't you know that? When you have that much talent and then you acquire more talent, all you're doing is, you know, tapping guys on the shoulder and it's their turn to go on the ice. It's easy. And I I say that facetiously, of course, but we've seen this happen time and again in the game. And and I'll go back to uh, Joe Torrey when he was managing the New York Yankees, because that's, I think, where we probably saw uh, the last great super teams. And that's what everybody would say. And and you overlook, Cito Gaston got a little bit, if I stick with baseball, got a little bit of that talk. Uh, with Toronto too, I think it's completely underrated and undervalued how much work goes into or how much coaching or managing goes into dealing with all of those incredible talents. And I know New York Yankees or 
you know, early 90s Toronto Blue Jays are different than the 2022 Hamilton Bulldogs, but the idea is the same. It's it's harder than I think we give anybody credit for to coach a team with a lot of talent. I agree with you. I think that there's always going to be these, there's always going to be at least two names involved normally, right? Like even in the West, Ted Dent gets it, but a case could be made for Mark Savard. That's a good team in Windsor, but they started off slow. And then as a rookie head coach to come in and turn that team around the way he did without getting foodie back, which is what they planned on. He could probably be in the conversation versus Ted Dent too. I love the job Ted Dent has done and he's a fantastic coach. Don't get me wrong. Great success in the pro ranks. Um, but I just, it's an interesting conversation because I, I kind of lean that way when I look at Jay's lineup in Hamilton. You're kind of like, well, yeah. But Scotty Bowman coaching that Red Wings dynasty, when you have that many egos, that many players that want the puck, that many players that want to be on the ice, it's not your coaching changes. You have to be more so of a manager of people than an actual coach. And I think when you have a really good team, like a couple teams in the league this year, that you do have to change how you coach depending on what kind of team you have made up. But, and, and I mean, not that Mark Savard or Jay McKee need me to tell them, but they obviously both did a great job this year and we're in that conversation for sure. Uh, still with the East before we get to our guest who spent most of his junior career in the Eastern conference uh, is Mississauga Barry, the best first round series we've got going right now. Well, in the East, probably. Yeah. I, I mean, in, in, in the West, versus the West. I don't know. We're I've only seen 50% of it, (laughs) (laughs) but, but we're seeing a pretty good one here. Maybe it's because of the rivalry or maybe it's because we're so invested in our, you know, we have the the bias that we follow this Kitchener Rangers hockey club for 68 games, but I I think it's been one heck of a series. I even think that like that on sound Flint series, I love it with all the drama involved and the back and forth. And now they're tied to, to give me seven games of that baby. Yes. Yes, sir. Um, but that Mississauga Barry series, I, I said before the playoffs started on this podcast, that that was the one I was interested in watching. I thought it would go deep. They're two teams that are matched up very well. And I think that I wouldn't be surprised when we see it go seven. The goaltending in that series has just been so good. And listen, we've seen to, to your point, even though you've seen 50% of the series, you did see game number three, Kitchener, London, when Brett bro shoe, I don't know what percentage he's operating at now. He certainly seemed lesser in game one in terms of overall health. He seems to be feeling better as the series wears on. I don't know, but he, he had a whale of a game in game three. And then game four was a, just a great story. My bias, notwithstanding 17 year old kid in his first Ontario hockey league playoff game puts up 52 saves. Jackson Parsons was sensational. The only disappointing part of the game was that, there were only 3,600 or so fans in the building to see it. Like in Kitchener, you missed a, a really, really uh, standout performance in a playoff game. If you even went there for that. Yeah. Like that performance is crazy. I was at a national sales conference in Niagara for my real job and had to send a tweet about it because I saw the numbers. I'm like, there's no way I texted you. I was like, what is happening? Like, what am I missing? This sucks. 17 year old first playoff start. And he puts up a 52 save performance against the London Knights. Just insanity. Like I I tweeted it, hold on Rangers nation. Like this kid's special. We've been pumping his tires hard for about the past three weeks, but um, I, Oh, I wanted to ask in that game, Kitchener was leading three, one. And then 
with about two minutes left, London scores to make it a one-goal game. How soon after that puck hit the net did you think to yourself, here we go? Because uh, we've seen that London comeback over and over and over and over. Yeah, and I think based on that history, it crosses your mind basic, essentially immediately uh, that here we go. But I'll tell you what, you got to give that young Ranger squad some credit because even though you thought that when Cody Morgan scored the goal to make it 3-2, they didn't really threaten all that much, at least not that I recall, to tie it. So, uh, yeah, and and again, you know, you talk about the performance that Parsons puts in against the London Knights. Luke Evangelista might have been close to double-digit chances in the game. Like, he was everywhere, and he was not one of the goal scorers for London. And, and Parsons even said after the game, because I asked him about that, he said, yeah, we talk a little bit on the ice. I have fun with him. I'm like, wow. Like, that's... <laughs> That's pretty bold, kid. That's that's pretty bold. That is bold. Yeah. 13 shots on goal for Evangelista. There you go. Game. Yeah. So I wasn't far off the mark because he was, and there were a couple of times he was robbed blind by Parsons. So it was a lot of fun. I just wish more fans had been there to see it. And I get that attendance is always down in the first round. We saw that game one in London too. It's like yeah. 5,500 or 58, whatever. That looks pretty empty in, in Bud Gardens. But anyway, here we are. They've been fun. Uh, the playoffs so far. And, and by the time we're uh, issuing our next podcast, we'll have round one in the bag and see what things look like for, for round two and, and who the Hamilton Bulldog eventually OHL champions are going to be facing in round two. So 17 years old, getting a first playoff start. Our guest this week had to watch all the playoffs in his first year because he was the backup, but soon after he led his team to two Eastern conference championships as a member of the Toronto St. Michael's majors, eventually drafted in the second round to the Carolina hurricanes went on to play for Carolina uh, for numerous seasons, called up and down, spent a lot of year playing pro played up in Washington and Phoenix before going overseas. Now coaching goaltenders, for the Belleville Senators. He is the pride of Blythe, Ontario. And the reason I'm doing this podcast, not in the National Hockey League, you'll yep. find out why. That's it. That's exactly <laughs> right? it. Exactly. <laughs> for Waterloo Crime Stoppers, here is OHL Stories with Justin Peters. All right, Petey, I got to start off with a question. I've told this story numerous times, and I, now that I have the source on the podcast... I need to know it's true, and I know it's going to bother Mike because he likes to start off in chronological order, but I'm going to jump right into it. Is there any truth to the story that at some point during your time with the Carolina Hurricanes, Rod Brindamore called your father to find out what you were doing in the offseason because you beat Rod the bod in a few fitness tests? Oh, I, I don't know if he went that far. I, that's a good question. I, I never <laughs> heard that. I never heard that version of the story, but... Um... Yeah, he was – I don't know if I ever beat him in a fitness test either. Maybe, maybe the odd one, but I think overall Rod the Bod took the cake every year. There's no no challenging him. Okay, well right, – We got it from the source. It's, it's interesting, though, because Popers right. I usually – like, I'm pretty anal about this stuff, Justin, and I want to go in chronological order all the time. But I was ready to jump – like, I'm breaking my own rule here because there's a question that I just want to get right into. We heard the story from – his perspective. So I want to know now from you why you kicked Adam Dennis's ass. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, uh, that's another good question. You guys, uh, oh, it was, uh, I, I remember that very fondly, actually. Uh, that was so does he it, kind of. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was his idea. It was his idea. 
that's that it was his idea to, for that to happen. So that was that was a high that was one of the for sure the highlights of my OHL career. So that's got nothing but good memories and a lot of respect for Adam Dennis. He so told that it? story on this podcast. I was just curious what was going through your mind when the whole thing happened. Well, I had a shutout going. I remember that. I remember, uh, well, I mean, I'm from Blythe, uh, just about an hour north of London. So lots of family and friends at that game, I remember. And I was with Plymouth at the time. And, but we were up 3 nothing, And I remember hearing that he had knocked out uh, McDougal in Peterborough a couple of weeks before. So I knew he liked to chuck him, and I didn't mind it either. So when it all kind of came about, I know at the time we had a really tough, really tough group of guys in Plymouth with uh, Tom Sestito, Jared Bowl, uh, Shepley, uh, Gino Paisolini. We had some tough guys. So when that line brawl broke out and he came out to center ice and we started chatting and he said, like, uh, he, he was asking that we were going to do it. And I was like, I got a shutout going. So I didn't, I didn't, and we kind of skated away from each other a little bit. At least that's how I remembered it. And then next thing you know, I hear the crowd just going crazy. And uh, he had taken off the gloves and threw the bucket off and, and away we went. It's funny when you mentioned the previous fight, because when I asked Denny about this fight, he kind of laughed. He says, why does everybody ask me about that one? I beat, I beat McDonald in this fight like three weeks earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew about it because I knew about it because so I was uh, I knew that I wasn't going to be messing around with just just anybody. He had the the TKO under his belt, so I was uh, definitely had my guard up going into that one. He talked about how nice of a guy McDougal was, and he felt bad after. <laughs> exactly, uh, J- Justin. Let's go back to where it all started for you in Blythe. Uh, you play AAA for Huron Perth Lakers. You don't remember this, but you actually beat me out for a spot on that team. I still hold Scott Pettigrew responsible, but that's another story. Um, I'm just curious, was that where your competitive nature came from? Because you were certainly quite the competitor. I, yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't know that Chris, sorry. Uh, you got to tell me, you got to explain this part to me. So we were, we were at tryouts together uh, with the Lakers. Yeah, we were at uh, here on Perth Lakers tryouts. Yeah, I was playing in uh, Minto, grew up in Palmerston, yeah. so I know Blythe very well. And yeah. I had I had heard of Justin Peters because my good friend Tyler Doig eventually moved to Seaforth, and then you guys played together. So he had told me about you, and I remember going out to camp, and I was ta- texting Doiger today actually about it, and uh, I, he said, "What do you remember from that?" I said, "Honestly, I remember just going out there, and at one point being in one end with you and Scott Pettigrew, and Scott was trying to t- show me what you were doing." And how I should do it. And I just remember thinking, this is the best goalie I've ever seen in person. Like, this kid is unbelievable. I don't belong out here at all. Yeah. So uh, we, we left the ice. They said to my parents, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> so did you play Did you play in Palmerston or Min- for Minto? There, yeah, or exactly. Yeah, I played in Minto, yeah. Awesome, awesome. So yeah. are you an 86 birth too? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Wow, that's really Do- cool. Doiger and I grew up like five houses from each other. So we, <laughs> we played together all yeah. Okay. Awesome. A small world. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So well, the competitiveness, I think, uh, I think that just kind of came like uh, from probably from my, my dad's side of the family, just in being when we were younger playing at home, I mean, playing road hockey and Blythe playing with older kids. Uh, we had some good battles on the street playing road hockey. Um, I think just, I don't know if that's something you teach the competitiveness. I think it's just something you have or you don't, but definitely had some good battles as kids growing up. And then um, 
you know, move, going on to with the the AAA with the the here in Perth Lakers. At first, uh, at first there was not a lot of kids that would come and try out. You know, so at first, uh, you know, it was kind of like you show up and you kind of almost have a spot on the team. There was literally that little amount of uh, kids trying out. So, you know, we weren't the strongest team, but we got absolutely smoked. You know, when we would go to tournaments in Toronto and, and London, these bigger cities. So, I got a lot of shots as a goalie and uh, hated to lose. So that was really drove me to, uh, to try and improve. And, and just to circle up with the, the, the Lakers there, we find from where we started at the time, like five years, the, the last year we were able to, to win the, the Alliance. So we came a long way from that first year when that was with Doiger um, that we were able to win the Alliance and uh, kind of put our ourselves on the map as, as an organization, because, you know, there were some dark days in those early years when we were uh, we were getting uh, pounded pretty good. Why goaltending? Of all the things you could have done in hockey, why strap on the pads? Uh, well, being from a small town, um, not a lot of goalies in the air, like on our team. I remember as a kid that I always was like fascinated by the goalie equipment. And uh, my dad was helping out uh, with the – the uh, like the 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 minor hawk live minor hockey the equipment lockers like he was helping with the jerseys and I think he it was his like responsibility with minor hockey you know had the keys to the lo- the the locker rooms where and the goalie equipment was shared from you know each year that every team would pass down the goalie equipment so I got to go in there and, and try on the the gloves and I was just fascinated by these older kids with the goalie gear and when they got in when there was a new glove or I'd be in there always trying it on. I was fascinated by it. And sure enough, uh, you know, when it became time uh, to to have to have a goalie play on your team that you had to have a full-time goalie, uh, I think I had to fight pretty hard with my dad to, to let me get in there. And uh, because I, I had tried, you know, rotated out as everybody does at a young age. I don't even know if they do that anymore, but we definitely rotated out until I think novice where uh, you had to have a full-time goalie and, um, I, I, that first year I was playing goalie, I think on the, the B team and for uh, defense on, on the A team. And so I just uh, got myself in there and eventually convinced my dad to let me be full time. And, and it worked out. All right. Yeah. I always loved playing the puck. I know you did too. You were exceptional at it. How did you learn to shoot so hard? Because you had a harder shot as a goalie than some of the players you played with. Yeah, you know it's funny because you're. I remember now, like you bring back, reminding me of these cool, cool memories. Like, um, so we shared sticks too in, in Blythe as minor hockey. And I remember, like, our stick, my stick was straight. Uh, like I had this no curve on the goalie stick for the longest time because that's just kind of what they they shared. And I re- I remember like just always practicing at first not being able to raise the puck and then by you know then being able to raise the puck with the straight stick and just always working on my shot just that's I don't know I don't know how it worked out it worked out all right but I just I remember having the straight stick and not being able to raise the puck and it just bothered me so much and watching you know on tv seeing Marty Brodeur and I mean, Ron Hextall then and these guys that you know Marty Brodeur scored and it was just like I wanted to do that so bad and just work after practice and during practice, probably overplayed the puck as a kid, probably the defense and the coaches were like, what's this guy doing? Stay in your net. But I was just fascinated by 
being able to do that. And I had a decent shot as a player. So I think maybe that helped translate a little bit. On that note, do you remember the one you scored into an empty net against the Sudbury Wolves in game seven of a playoff series? Uh, absolutely. That That's right up there with the, the Dennis fight, I think, with the memories. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I remember, I remember that vividly. I, and it's funny, like, uh, so that goal, uh, obviously, as you said, it was against Sudbury game seven, uh, first round, and we were up four two in St. Mike's. So smaller, a smaller arena, which was, was, which helped, but uh, Matt Macaron, the tallest guy in the OHL. And I, and I, and I got to know him afterwards. Uh, and we've talked about this a few times, uh, but he dumped the puck in on net and he's from, from at center ice and why he did it on net, I don't know. It was a huge help of mine. Cause I practiced a lot to, to, to shoot in the empty net. And I'd hit the outside of the net earlier that year in Sarnia. Anyways, uh, he's six foot seven. He's the biggest guy. And he shot in on net and I actually had to shoot it over him at all the guys. It was funny. I had to shoot it over him, but I practiced so much and thankfully it went in. And I remember that feeling like my body was tingling. I didn't know what to do. Uh, I didn't know what to celebrate. I was obviously put my hands in the air and uh, that was an amazing feeling. And there was a minute like 23 left on the clock. And, and I was just thankful. No shots came on net because if there was a shot on that, it, it would have went in. I was just, I was going, I was tingling and all crazy. I didn't know what to do. <laughs> Playoff goal. I'd be tingling too. That's awesome. It's the perfect segue to this story. Cause when talking with Doiger, I asked him about some fun stories and he talked a lot about your competitiveness, which we talked about, but he said, during AAA, when you guys were younger, it was like a two-on-one drill. And uh, he passed the puck, and you made a save. And then there was another group coming down behind them, but they scored – or someone from his two-on-one put the puck into the net when you weren't looking. You grabbed you grabbed the puck and shot it into the mesh above the glass at the other end of the rink and just <laughs> stared at the player who put it in the net. Didn't even say a word. Is that something that – you carried on throughout your career of not wanting pucks in the net that don't belong in the net. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I think probably some of my former teammates, uh, could probably speak for that. I, I you know, I think the competitiveness was a strength, but also a weakness too. You know, like at, at, at some points it just gets the best. It got the best of me. And I, as I matured over the, over my career, I definitely learned to uh, relax a little bit, but, yeah, it was the biggest pet peeve of mine. If you weren't shooting on me to score and you just put a loose puck in the net, uh, it didn't go over too well with my uh, my wires up here. It just uh, it just was the absolute uh, – it just pissed me off the most. And did some – you know, I, I did some silly things uh, because of it over the years, but and I always thought to myself after, I'm like, if I was sitting in the – if I was like myself sitting in the corner – in the in the glass behind the glass watching myself do some of the things i did i would be like what i was i'm embarrassed for myself right but uh like i said i think it was a strength but also like a weakness where i had to learn to control my emotions and, and my anger and my competitiveness uh and try and use it in in a positive way it's it's funny that we're talking to you today Petey, because i've been fascinated with OHL playoff upsets lately. I thought this was going to be the year we'd see a ton and I'm not sure it's going to work out that way, but I looked back and, and you and, and St. Mike's were the last eight seed to upset a one seed. And I think you did that the year before you got that goal against Sudbury. I might be getting my years mixed up, but do you remember coming in as the eight and knocking off yeah, the yeah. number one Mississauga ice dogs at the time? 
Yeah, I absolutely remember it. Uh, so that it was actually it was actually uh, a year after because um, we had a coaching change in St. Mike's. Uh, Bud Stefanski had taken over for Dave Cameron, and um, that year we got off to a really slow start. Uh, by Christmas, we were 16 points out of a playoff spot. I remember that, and, and we snuck in the last game. I think we might have had a. I could be wrong. I think we might have had a playing game with Kingston where it came down to the last game of the regular, like we were tied with Kingston. If I, if I remember correctly. So we, we ended up getting in like the last day of the, the last day of the regular season and obviously played Mississauga and they had, uh, you know, they were, I think the well, obviously the, the uh, conference champs, of the regular season, um, they had Patrick O'Sullivan, Mike Uzis as their goalie, Dave Shantz as their goalie. Um, Stefan Legion, uh, they had some great players, uh, great players. Jordan, I think Jordan Owens, that's a really good lineup, uh, on their team. And, um, yeah, I remember that was a, a wild series that we were able to upset. We were, I remember Tyler Haskins and Scott Lehman, Ryan Wilson, um, Corey Vitarelli. We had big performances by some guys that we were able to, to upset those guys and. Um, because that year, Ottawa was hosting the Memorial Cup, I believe, and and or yeah, Ottawa was it was it was happened that if you would have won your conference, we would have made it uh, to the Memorial Cup because the host team, um, you know, I, I mean, I think Ottawa was a really good team that year. And anyways, I th- if I can remember correctly, it was something along those lines. But we definitely upset them, and a really really good memories. Uh, of, of that year what was it like going to toronto for the first time away like moving to toronto in your rookie season coming from a town like blythe yeah great question great question that it was a definitely a huge culture shock it was huge uh eye opener um just obviously blythe has a blythe has a thousand people and as you know the small towns uh things were you know we don't have a traffic light uh, or you know any buses i i lived i I grew up 50 meters from our public school, kindergarten to grade eight. So, uh, you know, not a lot of commuting going on there. Where, and then I went to high school in Wingham, which was, I had to take the bus, but definitely, uh, you know, eye-opener moving to Toronto. And, um, you know, ride, I rode the city bus to school. Um, just, uh, <laughs> just, just different way of life, obviously. And, but it was a really cool experience. And I still, to this day, I live in Mississauga now. I, I, I went back to, to Toronto for this, for a lot of summers as a pro and, and trained, I trained with Matt Nickel at the old St. Mike's arena. We were there. I was, I was there for probably nine or 10 years uh, of my career and always end up back in Toronto. It is the hockey uh, Mecca hotbed of, of the world, really, as far as resources for training and coaching and uh, treatment. So um, I'm really lucky to, to, we are really lucky and fortunate to have such a great network there in Toronto. Real quick, if I can, Mike, just real quick. We talked about my first question, alluding to just how shredded you are or were in your playing days. But when you were at Effie Medill in Wingham, how many trips down to the Frosty Queen? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We made a few trips down there. Good poutine and ice cream. Yeah. They had lots of good, good snacks. Uh, I haven't been back there in a long time, but Wingham's really built up. We got, we got McDonald's down there now and, a couple new gas stations there. Um, it's uh, really built up there by the looks of things. 
you're thinking the same thing as me, Popper, talking about the small town. First of all, if, you, if we're, if we're going to talk Wingham, yeah, okay, Frosty Queen, but how about Bell's Pizza? Let's go. Yeah. Meatball okay. sub out of Bell's Pizza any day, please, and thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to mention Blythe now, though, PD. Look at it yeah. now. Harry Potter festivals, Cowbell Brewing. Come on. Places growing, yeah. too. Absolutely. Absolutely. The Blythe's really, uh, the, I mean, they've had the, the, the festival there for a long time. And it's, I think it's a big part of, uh, you know, the, the keep the, the town running, you know, bringing people in in the summers. And my mom had had a store on the main street uh, for growing up there. And, so obviously the, the festival running through the, the summers, uh, you know, a big part of business there. Uh, we have the Blythe Tannery, the Housen's, Housen's Flour Mill, uh, the Baton's uh, Old Mill there too. There's so, yeah, lots of stuff going on. Sparling's Propane and the Sparling's family in Blythe, they, uh, you know, they had done a ton for minor hockey and they, they rented, there was a big renovation done to the Blythe Arena. I don't know what year it was, but probably in, I would say the early 2000s, they did a big renovation. And I know the Sparlings family was a big part of that. I think they got the Zamboni for, for the for the town. And they've uh, done a lot to keep the upkeep of the Main Street in Blythe. And they've given back a ton to that community and uh, given lots, lots back. And we're really thankful uh, for everything they've done. The brewery helps tourism, but so does having the Peter brothers both play pro hockey. Now everyone wants yeah. to go back to Blythe. You got the O'Reilly brothers from down the road. They're, they were playing and still playing. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're when you were, uh, when you first went to Mississauga, you eventually ended up playing under um, Dave Cameron, but you mentioned a name I want to ask about in Tyler Haskins. I got to know him a bit in Guelph for my time there. Do you have a good Haskins story for us? Oh, Haskins. Yeah, he was. He ended up being our captain. He was a great leader. He was a great leader. Uh, he was a really competitive guy too. Uh, he was a really competitive guy too. I know they always gave him a little trouble. I remember people were uh, trouble for diving a little bit, but he drew a lot. He drew a lot of penalties, and he was a great leader. And that I said in that same or the the Mississauga series uh, against them, he was a big part of upsetting it. And we I chummed around with him quite a bit. Uh, you know, the last couple of years there. Um, we had a few good nights. Yeah, we had a few good nights, causing some causing some ruckus uh, around Toronto. You know, the nice thing about playing junior hockey in Toronto is, I mean, it's the good and the bad, but no one really knew, knew who you were. So you didn't get a ton of fans, but you could, you could get out you could get out and do whatever you wanted, and no one really cared either. Did that change a lot in Plymouth? I'm guessing probably not. Uh, as far as, uh, like, no one knew who you are? Or yeah. Really? Yeah, I mean, do you know what? Uh, Plymouth they had a really good, like, like core fan base. Um, and it's a small town too. So every, uh, as far as it felt like you felt like you're important in that city, I could say, because it was just so small that everybody kind of knew everybody. And um, you weren't sneaking off to any pubs or anything like that in Plymouth, put it that way. Uh, especially with the 21 year old drinking age in the States. I just finally turned 19 and then I uh, got traded to traded to Plymouth. So uh in in Plymouth it, it was more you had to little house get togethers and uh you weren't you weren't uh getting out in the town too much there I mentioned Dave Cameron um now back in the league with Ottawa obviously went up to the NHL for a while what was he like as a coach when he was with you oh he for me he was he was huge in the in my development uh he he taught he taught us how to be pros and he 
I remember him saying like his his saying was he had a lot of sayings actually <laughs> he had a lot of great things that we uh, the boys always chuckled with and I have so much respect for Dave but he he taught he taught me how to be a pro how to prepare he taught details details preparation um, he would. Oh, PD, we lost you. I don't know if you can still hear us. But we lost you. I just wonder if you're on mute or something. Looks like he's there. I thought it was me for a second. I just shot him a text. I feel like I should do a little dance. I know. Fill the time uh, on the video. When it, whenever it freezes, I'm sure you'll edit it, but whenever it freezes, I always try to just <laughs> show you that my screen's working. Oh, yeah, he popped out. <clears throat> yeah. I didn't know how to say, can you turn on your video? I know. I know. Well, yeah, maybe he's just, he's not just on his phone, whatever. It's <laughs> you do you, pal. That's going to be okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We get more listeners for the podcast portion of it anyway than the viewers, right? So. 100%. 100%. It's, it's going to make the, the videos, the little teaser things a little tougher. Yeah. But Well, if you, uh, if you want, I can, um, I can take the recording from you this weekend and I can put a, just a picture of him on there. Yeah, I was thinking about that. Um, it, if you want. It's not the end of the world. Okay. Shit, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if his phone died. Oh, it might have been. <clears throat> Just pick up on Dave it's Cameron so far, saying, though. yeah, he's fun. It was one of those things, again, where I'm thinking at the beginning. They've appreciated, you know, Pretty quick little things. Yeah, I was but like, oh boy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we warm it up and it's good. That's why I wanted to get to the, the doig part because I know they were tight. And I thought if we kind of show that, hey, we have some mutual friends, we're not here to, it might make them relax a little bit. Right. Trust us a little. I don't know. Well, when you play in the show, you, you earn your, well, I don't know if you do earn, but that's, you know, the distrust runs pretty deep. Don't say anything that can be exactly turned back against you. Yeah. And then you're always going to have the, what is the Larry Browns of the world and the Al Strackens and yeah. or Larry Brooks. Yeah. Cause Larry shit. Brooks. Yeah. Always. <laughs> 21 games is his most in the NHL. In one stretch. Yeah. He did earn a shot, three shutouts. Holy shit. Just one sec, Garzy, if he's back. Yeah. Still nothing. Oh. 
Come on back to us. There he is. Yeah. Computer ran into a problem, had to restart. Oh, the blue screen of death. Yep. <laughs> what are you doing? What do you have in your mouth? It's a hanger. Hey, sorry, boys. There he is. That's no all worries right. at all. That's all right. Technology, eh? Yeah, it's fun. All good. Nice stuff. All right. So you were just you were just asking. Did you hear you were asking about Dave Cameron, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, you can just start off. I'll yeah, as far as you can edit it, just where me I asked about Dave, and you yeah. can just pick up starting talking about him. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, Dave Cameron was a huge had a huge influence on my career. Uh, he taught us taught me leadership uh, preparation. Uh, like I was saying, he he always talked that. There's not one situation in a game that you're going to see that we haven't covered in practice. And we practiced a ton. I remember practicing a, like one hour, full hour, and then flood, and then another full hour. And uh, he, he taught us work ethic and hard work for sure. Um, and Bob Jones was assistant coach there too, who actually is now an assistant coach in Ottawa, uh, working here with the Ottawa's farm team. So we kind of came full circle to, to see him at training camp uh, last year. It was kind of cool. But Dave Cameron for sure is one of the most influential guys my hockey career and personal life because of how he taught me, uh, you know, to be a pro and how to take care of yourself, how to show up and look the part, dress the part and, and, and do the part. So um, I have a really special spot in my heart for Dave Cameron, everything he did for himself. It's funny. You talk about being with Ottawa's farm team now, which of course is Belleville. And when we were talking earlier about St. Mike's and the arena itself, I mean, that place is a barn and everything's like right on top it feels so tiny we know the ice is the same but it makes me think about Belleville back in the old Yardman arena days which had Olympic size playing in the St. Mike's arena was it different did it make it easier as a goaltender like does it change anything for you yeah that's you know what's funny coming full circle here in Belleville like we my first year in junior I was the backup to Andy Kyoto so I didn't actually play a game in the first in the playoffs but of that first round of the playoffs, but uh, we played Belleville and it went to seven games and every team won on home ice. Uh, we lost every game here and we won every game there. I think it was, it's a huge difference. It was a huge difference. At the time, I think it was easier, uh, it was easier for us at St. Mike's going to bigger ice than it was for teams coming in to play on the smaller ice. Because uh, things happen so quick. From a goalie's perspective, I loved it because like, Everything was like right on top of you, you know. There was no every it, plays happen quick, but you know, uh, scoring chances over the blue line, really. Uh, you know, and here in Belleville, you, they could skate themselves out of a scoring chance. Uh, the thing that I hated playing in Belleville as, as a as a goalie because the hash marks were so wide. So usually on the Olympic ice, the the hash marks and the the circles they're the same distance apart, whether it's Olympic ice or NHL ice. Just there's more space on the boards, but in Belleville, the the circles were right over in the corner, so there was such a bigger such a bigger distance between the hash marks, and it really threw my angles off. I had a hard time playing here in Belleville, and I don't think I ever had much success uh, as a visiting team here. But definitely a home ice advantage for both teams. But I actually think it was easier; uh, it was more of an advantage for us at St. Mike's, uh, going to bigger ice and harder for teams coming in 
um, playing on our smaller ice. Was that your least favorite place to play? Uh, junior, I think I think it was like I had the least success. So yeah, that would probably be. Yeah, I thought it was a great rink and awesome atmosphere. Um, but I remember yeah, that year there was state, Matt Stajan was on the team uh, and he got a big high stick in that series. And I remember a week later, after we beat him, a week later he scored a goal for St. John's in the AHL or had an assist and then he scored his first NHL goal uh, for the Leafs. And he still had the big the stitches out on his face from the high stick he took uh, in the series. But yeah, that that's probably safe to say that it was the least favorite spot to play because of uh, – how poorly I did. We talk a lot about in in your profession. You, you move around a lot. You get traded as a player. You might move from place to place as a coach, etc. But when you're 19 years old and you get traded from Toronto St. Mike's to the Plymouth Whalers, what, what's that experience like for you? Oh uh, yeah, I remember that very vividly because um, you know what had happened is that that year that, that year I got traded. I started off poorly myself um, and then in our team we were just really struggling as, as a team um, and it was kind of like I needed a fresh start uh, you know and I was a 19 year old that year uh, we were you know out of, the, out of the playoff spot at the time um, my numbers were poor it's like I needed a fresh start for myself for my career um, and I remember very much because I, I went in and asked for a trade and that was one of the hardest things I ever ever did. Um, you know, like you feel like you're letting your teammate down. And I remember talking to Bud Stefanski and it was, took a lot of courage uh, to go in there and ask uh, for that to happen. And, but I did and I, and I'm, and I was really glad that they honored it and, and Bud was great, uh, respected it. He understood. And I didn't want to be a distraction to the team, but I just felt it was, it was what was best for me at the time. And uh, thankfully, I was able to go to Plymouth and um, met some great friends there and, and had a great, great uh, second half of the year, I guess you could say, because it was early December when that happened. Um, it, wor- it worked out well, I think, for both, for both sides. We talked about playing for, sorry, Popper, but playing for Dave Cameron. What was it like playing for Luch? Uh, Volucci, yeah. So Volucci yeah. was was a great coach. He was a players coach. The guys, he re, he had a respect to all the guys, uh, but he had a really good relationship with all his players. And I know I know that a lot of his former players uh, to this day still keep in touch with him. Um, he's really personable, really approachable guy. Uh, like I said, had the respect for the players, but but he they knew he was the leader, and and you know there was. Uh, he had a really good personal relationship with them. And I know from like James Neal, who I still keep in touch with, still is in touch with Bellucci. Uh, they talk a lot. And he's, uh, you know, you don't hear too many bad things about Bellucci. He's done, he's a great coach in, in the OHL. Now to see him in the NHL uh, with Pittsburgh uh, having success is, is awesome. I'm curious, Justin, when you first went to Mississauga, you mentioned Andy Chiodo, and he was a pretty big name in the OHL at that time. Did he help you kind of learn what it takes to play in the OHL or maybe was it more so just your uh, limited time in Vaughn that maybe helped? Yeah, you know, that's a great, yeah. Andy Kiro and, and me and Andy are still real good buddies to this day. We coach in the summer together. And, uh, he's, I could say a mentor. He was a mentor then. Uh, he definitely took me under his wing. His family uh, was so generous and so uh, welcoming. He, he, he was from uh, – so we live in at St. Mike's. I had my bill at in Etobicoke too. Um, you know, they, I remember their his mom and his, his 
grandmother, uh, they would in the playoffs, every round we won, we went, well, we went to the conference final. So we had two team, uh, team dinners at the house and they're Italian and they cook these amazing meals for our, our whole team. Like, and I'm talking like every player had a chicken parm. Every player had like sausages, every player pasta, like a huge meal, a huge bread that I didn't know. Like I grew up like meat and potatoes, like didn't know, didn't have very much, uh, I hadn't experienced much of different foods from different countries. So home cooked Italian meal uh, was, was incredible and to see that. And they, they had us over their, the whole team over their family. And then as, uh, as Andy went on to pro, his family always had me in the summers. I would come into the summers uh, for a week here and there and train, we trained together in the off season and then still trained together the last 10 years uh, with Matt Nickel there and now uh, coaching with each other in the summers. Uh, he was a huge mentor for me through that first year. I, it was, you know, as you told, we talked before moving to Toronto from Blythe, uh, obviously a big, a big change. And then my first time moving away from home. So definitely a little homesick and then uh, not playing a lot of, of hockey in the OHL, uh, getting to play Monday nights with Vaughn was huge to be able to just play hockey. Um, and go and play and play a lot was great. But then there were some, some tough days, uh, you know, for myself mentally, uh, just being away and, and feeling like, you know, I, I wasn't having the success that I wanted. You know, it felt like at 16. Um, and he helped me put things in perspective. And, and then his – and we talk about work ethic. Like, that guy worked. That guy taught me how to work, too, as a young goalie in OHL. Like, you weren't going to outwork Andy Kyoto. Uh, but I tried. I tried my best a lot of days, but uh, coming into St. Mike's, I heard stories about him and Peter Budai. Uh, I, I came in the year that Peter had left, so I heard stories from the guys about them working and competing against each other in practice. And I got to see firsthand uh, what work ethic was from Andy. Kind of connected to that, you've mentioned Matt Nichols' name a couple of times. When did you start taking your personal fitness as seriously as you do? When he was six. <laughs> yeah. So, well, I'd say like, I always took fitness really seriously. I always wanted to like, just be competitive. I wanted to win fitness sessions. So at St. Mike's, I remember coming in and it was like 155 pounds on the, or 135 pounds on the bench press as many times as you can do. And it was like 155 pounds on the squat rack, front squats as many times as you can do. And just as a 16 year old coming in and like getting dominated, uh, I remember that, like, wanting to come in and win these competitions and win fitness tests. Um, so then I went back home and, and in the summers and just trained in my backyard at first and then started training with the, you mentioned the O'Reilly brothers. Uh, Brian O'Reilly trained him, well, the, the, or his two kids, uh, Cal and Ryan, and then my brothers uh, and Tyler came and joined us. And we had a, a good little group going in the summers, but we trained in Goddard's uh, we trained pretty hard. So um, it wasn't though, like I trained hard, always trained hard, but it wasn't until like I, I got, I got injured and, and, and hurt my knee where I realized that as a goalie, you don't need to be like 220 pounds and, and squatting and winning the bench press on the, you know, in competition, you know, like at, at fitness testing, you know, I needed to learn how to be mobile and, and take care of my body to be able to, to play a lot and, and be flexible and, and all these other aspects. So that was probably when I was like 25 or 24, 25, where I, I realized that that's when I moved to Toronto in the summer. 
and started training with, uh, with Matt Nickel and, uh, you know, just learned how to train smart and not, and almost like, uh, started to learn how to take care of myself and, and build a plan. So in season, I could try and maintain, uh, that, that same stuff we worked on the summer. So on the heels of that, just to go back to my first question, what was it like in the training sessions when you first saw Rod the Bot? Oh, Rod the Bot. It's like every story you hear about Rod the Bot, as far as like work ethic, and it's true. Like you can't make it up. Like the guy, the guy just like he just lives in the gym. He does. He does. And he's absolutely shredded. Like I'm telling you, absolutely shredded. But he's on the bike every morning. You walk into the rink, he's there. When you show up, he's on the bike 45 minutes. And he just he does his business, but he just has his work. He goes about himself. And, and I know he's still doing it because when I, I got to play with him, and then he was our assistant coach. And, and like, I wonder if he might have worked out more as a coach because he was at the rink a little more. You know, like, it's definitely in the afternoons. And there was one year where I – the trade deadline was coming around and I was, I was, I got called up and they didn't want to put me on waivers to send me back to Charlotte. So they said, you're going to, I'm going to stay with the team for the, the rest of the year. But I didn't, I wasn't like, I didn't play. I didn't dress. I didn't practice with the team unless, you know, one of the other goalies came off the ice type of thing. So it was like, I was, so Rod the Bod would shoot on me every morning. Uh, and we were, and he was the guy shooting on me before the team and we were doing like goalie drills and stuff. And, and then when we would get on the road, we'd show up to the hotel. Like when you fly into a city the day before, Brindamore, he goes to the gym. He goes to the gym. Some guys go grab a beer. He goes, he goes to the gym and, and, and trains. Like it, and so I started tagging along with him, you know, I, and, and got to see what this guy was like. And we work out in the mornings early before practice. And like, it just, I don't know how he's able to, to do it, but he's a, uh, he's a special, special kind of like he's a special individual and, that is work ethic. Obviously, this speaks to your time with Carolina. Second rounder, 38th overall to the Hurricanes. What was draft day like for you? Draft day was awesome. It was in the Carolina hosted the draft the year I was drafted. So I was drafted by the home team. And, uh, the whole experience, uh, the whole, my family had planned a, a trip. We were going down to Ocean Isle Beach, uh, just south of. Uh, Ocean Isle Beach is in North Carolina, but it's right close to the South Carolina border. So we had this trip planned where we were going to go to the draft. And my, my grandparents uh, had come along, my aunt and uncle, a couple of my dad's brothers too. But this was kind of on my mom's side. We had this trip planned. And it couldn't have worked out better getting drafted by the home team. Um, you know, having a really cool, or, you know, the crowd always cheering for you and happy. And, and then getting to go spend a week uh, down in, uh, in North Carolina in Ocean Isle Beach with my family, had an awesome vacation. And then I got to come back home, you know, a week later and uh, had the fire trucks, uh, the fire department from Blythe meet us on the edge of town. And uh, the, the town had a great welcoming uh, party for me at the Lions Park. And I'll, I'll never forget it. Still have the banner that the kids were walking in front of the fire trucks. I still have it. Uh, that they had all signed and said congratulations. So the town of Blythe had supported me, you know, throughout my whole career and, and, and even before that in junior. So it was really cool, uh, really cool experience to be able to share, you know, that experience to come back to Blythe uh, after the draft. And, and everyone was obviously very excited uh, for me. And I really appreciate all their support. 
if, if we can go back a little further, that draft day, I'm sure your brothers were there and both still playing. I'm curious just what it was like growing up with two goalies in a family and one player. Normally it's the opposite. Who, who got to play goalie playing road hockey and was it Alex? Well, you know what? Like, it's funny that none of us played goalie in road hockey. Kirk Stewart, Kirk Stewart and uh, Jeff, Jeff the Cat Elliott, uh, they, they were the goalies and we were always forward. We were always forward. Me and Anthony, always forward. Alex, like so Alex was quite a bit younger. Alex is 10 years younger than me. So when I was, you know, I left home at 16. And Alex is only six years old. So some of those, and then coming home, even in June, they're coming home. We still played road hockey after that. Like we played road hockey, like still probably 18, 19, 20 years old. Uh, coming home, we still had good road hockey battles, but with our buddies. But uh, yeah, we were never goalies, always forwards, always, always forwards. And Kirk Stewart, uh, with, and Jeff the You've talked a lot, Justin, about work ethic, and I, I can't help but wonder about one of the other guys that you would have encountered at least briefly in your pro career when you were with Washington. What's Alex Ovechkin like? Oh, he is like he is, it's it's like you're in awe every day being around that guy. I, say. I don't know how else to describe it. Like his. His skill level and not the shot, obviously. He has just a presence. He has just a presence. Like, and I can say, I like we talked before about like guys shooting the puck in the net, like when you're not looking. And that's kind of like a lack of respect, I say, for the goalie. I've never met a guy like Ovechkin has the most respect for goalie. Like you see his shot, obviously. And I can tell you, he will come down like a puck could be rolling a little bit. He'll take a slap shot in the corner instead of on net. Like he, his shot, when he decides to come in and, and shoot the score, usually it's going in, but there's, you know, if he's coming in and he's going to take a, a shot and the puck rolls a little bit, he doesn't want to hit the goalie in the head or anything, you know, he'll just put the puck in the corner. Like he has so much respect for the goalie in power play, power play practice. Um, you know, the, the penalty kill guys, like he won't take slap shots uh, when they're in the lane, right? Like he doesn't practice that shot with guys there. So let's say near the end of penalty kill and power play practice, he'll say, okay, guys, I'm going to shoot the puck. So guys know, just to get out of the lane. If we're like, just stuck with me. <laughs> it just stuck with me there. And that's when the, he rings the bar, but it's either going bar, bar under the bar or over the net. So that guy, it's, it's, it was like, it was really special, really, really cool to see uh, his talent level and his shots and his presence. And like, he's, He's a solid man too. Like you, he's like 240 pounds, solid, solid. His forearms are huge. Like he hits so hard too. It's it was a really really cool uh, to, to just to be a part of and see and see that on a daily basis. That first practice when you know they're like, okay, we're going to practice power play. Peter, you're down there. Were you like, you know what, Charlotte seems like a great idea. <laughs> I'll, I'll just hop on the bus. It's cool. Yeah. Keep your per diem. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. But I can tell you, like, when I talked about him shooting the puck in the corner, like, the first time I saw him do that, I was like, what the, what the heck? You're like, this guy, he comes down, like, going to take a slap shot, and the puck rolls a little bit, just shoots it directly in the corner, like, off the glass, like, so far away from the net. You're like, and then you're like, oh, my, okay, he meant to do that. Like, <laughs> he didn't want to hit me in the head. I like this guy, you know? Like, that's, uh, yeah, it was, it was really cool, man. Did you ever see him smash Coca-Cola or root beer or something on the bench? Uh, yeah, yeah. That's, I, I've seen some videos coming in now where he talks about it, but absolutely. Like, it was it was Coca-Cola on the bench. 
Dr. Pepper between periods. Uh, ginger ale if he had a tongue leg, if he wasn't feeling well. It's like, he's just, what he's able to do, like, it's, it's crazy how he's able to perform. And you see, like, he's still producing, obviously, at such a high level at his age. It's just amazing. He's just one, one of a kind. What, what led you to make the decision to go over and play in Europe? Well, it was kind of like, it's kind of, I mean, after my time in Washington, I was back in the AHL. Uh, I went to Hershey. I got put on waivers my second year in Washington, went to, went to Hershey. And I've really been battling some bad knee injuries where it was like, I, I knew the days were getting numbered for my career. And then it was the first time in, in my time playing pro where I didn't have like something set up, a contract set up before July 1st, right? They, they started this new window where you can talk to teams. And it was the first time where it was like, you know, a couple of days before free agency. And it wasn't like, I didn't have a guaranteed contract uh, that was going to be signed July 1st. So it was kind of like, I was thinking, you know, I was, you know, I had this opportunity to go over to the KHL and I thought, you know, okay, I was a good stepping stone, go there, try and uh, make some money and, and cash in at the end of the career. And it didn't work out quite the way I planned it. As far as that, I, I didn't survive that long in the KHL and I get fired uh, that first year in October. But um, I, I, my experience in Europe was really cool uh, to be able to travel and see over there uh, for sure. Um, but really made me appreciate uh, North American hockey and how, how we have it here and how good quality the AHL and the minor leagues here are in North America, that's for sure. Both your brothers still playing in the minor leagues in, a, or well, your one brother, sorry, was in the minor leagues now overseas. Your other brother's still in the American East coast league. When you were playing semi sorry, when you were playing pro in the U S did you ever play against Anthony? No, we never got to talk fast. We never did. Um, you know, obviously it would have been really cool to, to do that, uh, but never, never got to something we talked about for sure. And yeah, we always had some good jokes about it, but never, uh, never happened. No. Would you guys have fought? <laughs> That's uh, probably not. Probably would have talked. That's what I say. Like we definitely talked because like you had some good battles, obviously in the driveway, like in the road hockey. And he's a, uh, so he's four, four years younger than me. You know, he's a bit of a, you know, a shit disturber. So he was all, he's always that guy that's like poking and prodding at you and just want trying to egg you on, trying to egg you on. So, you know, in some heated moments, we always, you know, it's probably joked about if we ever played against each other, he would beat me up or, you know, whatever, but uh, never got the opportunity. So we'll have to keep that one open. If I'm not mistaken, Justin, your first NHL game, your first NHL start, uh, you were also named the first star of the game. It was a game against the Islanders, if I recall correctly. But what do you remember from that that day leading up to when you found out you're going to be starting that that first that first game as a starter in the NHL? Yeah, yeah, I remember it very well. You know, uh, got called up and traveled with the team to Buffalo, um, and it was a kind of a weird year where there's been some injuries. They signed, you know, instead of calling me up, they ended up signing um, Manny Legacy. Um, they signed him and didn't call me up. And I was doing pretty well in the AHL that year. But, you know, looking back, like I probably wasn't ready. But, you know, they were in a playoff run and trying to make the playoffs. And, you know, it was better for me. Now on the coaching side, I see that I needed to keep playing the AHL. Obviously, I took 
it a little personal. You wanted to be that guy called up and probably just motivated me a little more. And, um, they had Michael Layton and, and Manny Legacy were the goalies because Cam Ward got hurt and then they signed uh, a Legacy. And then uh, Legacy ended up getting hurt uh, briefly. And then, so I got called up and joined the team, traveled to Buffalo and my, and my family came to the game in Buffalo. So uh, a little visit with them after. And then in the room, uh, Paul Maurice told me, hey, you're, uh, you're starting tomorrow. And I was like, holy but the game was in Long Island. My family's in Buffalo that night. It's, so they traveled back to Blythe that night and then they ended up jumping on a flight the next day out of Toronto. So lots of traveling. Uh, and they made it in time for the, uh, for the game and uh, against uh, the Islanders, uh, against Ricky DiPietro. Yeah, we, we got the win and obviously great, a great memory, uh, something you never forget. And I remember you know, seeing uh, my parents on TSN with a beer in their hand, uh, sitting in the upper deck, uh, watching the game. Really cool, really cool, really cool moment. Three National Hockey League shutouts. I'm assuming you remember them all. Uh, yeah, I don't remember that. I know they were against Washington. Were they all against Washington? I don't know. But I, I, I don't know. Two of them for sure against Washington. Because when I signed with Washington, when they first became the free agent and signed with Washington, it was like, you know, kind of like they were the team that I got my shutouts against. So uh, I remember, obviously, it's a couple, some of them there, but I don't remember if all three were against Washington. Number two of them for sure. So you got you, so you can say you shut out Obi. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because he, and he, when I signed with him, he called, he FaceTimed me too. Like he's a really classy guy too. Like, it was like probably six in the morning, Russian time. And, he had, he had FaceTimed me because it, it was late at night here by the time everything took out. And he FaceTimed me, congratulated me, and said, Good to have you on our side now, too. So I've to play against him a few times. That's awesome. You know what? It doesn't surprise me at all. A guy with his talent and what he's like, you just know that he's well rounded in everything, not not just in the game of hockey, right? You can just tell. Absolutely. Yeah. And like, so, like, He's just one of the boys, right? Like he's just he's just a good teammate, a good guy. Loves to have fun with the guys. Like, you know, he's he's like his talent level, his skill level. He's just so far elite above everybody else. But yet he's just like just a normal guy. Just wants to go have a beer and shoot the shit with guys. Just wants to be a part of the team and, and fit in. And, and he does that. And the whole group in Washington, like Nick Backstrom's a really really good leader there too. And he you know he's a big part of that leadership group. And, um, they're just a really, really solid group of guys that are really close knit. And, and Tom Wilson too, like he trained with Matt Nichols in the summer too. Still keep in touch with Wilson a little bit. Uh, just a really, really good group of guys. If we can ask about another former player, you're only it was your first time up in Carolina. You spent nine games there that season. But the Wizard Ray Whitney is always someone who I've loved. Listening to just a few post game interviews, I'm like, this guy is made for media. What was the Wizard like? He, he is, he is like, he, he was, he was so well respected in that locker room. Uh, very funny guy, like you said, really witty. Uh, but I have a funny story of him. So he freezing the athletic therapist would always do the freezing 5k run um, in the summers, uh, like a charity run. And it would happen in August, around August, uh, when all the guys were down early August training and getting ready for the season. And I remember we were doing the 5K run, and he was running, we were running. I was kind of running behind him, and you know, didn't really want to, didn't really want to pass him, you know, because he's the he's the older guy, kind of veteran guy. And I remember it was like 
don't know what part of the what part of the run it was, but because some people just take it like really casual to charity run. Other guys are like, you know, trying to race. So we're out for the run, and eventually he just like looked, he could hear me breathing down his neck. He's like, you can just just go, just go. Like kind of one of those things. I was, I'll never forget that. It was funny. He's like, and then afterwards shooting the shit talking about it. It's funny. That's my race. My race for sure. How do you like the coaching side? Did you envision yourself ending up doing this? Well, you know, I, I didn't always know. I didn't always, I didn't always, but I'd always love, like, just love the position. Um, I first got to come to Toronto to work with John Elkin as a goalie coach in St. Mike's, and he taught me technique, and I never had a goalie coach or been to a goalie school before that, so it was just such an eye-opener coming to St. Mike's, uh, being able to, to work with John Elkin and see what technique means, like what pro- the proper leg to get up on, you know, like these tiny things that I just played on kind of natural ability. And, and then, you know, under- and then you, you get into the pro ranks and you see, and then you see how important, you know, the goalie coaches are and how important it is to have a plan as a goalie to, to have consistency. And then I got to work with Tom Barrasso, uh, Tom Barrasso was a goalie coach. Uh, he got hired on to be like essentially the development goalie coach. And I think Carolina was kind of ahead of the time at, at that time. And I, cause it was my second year pro and he was hired on uh, to work with the prospects. And so he came down to Albany and, and I got sent to Florida to the UCHL. And he came to Florida to work with me. And he taught me so many like the details. He taught details. He taught preparation. He was really, really detailed person just like where to leave the puck, you know, like every detail mattered. And, and then I started understanding like, you know, like how important these details are and have a plan and how important it is to, to have this plan to fall back on um, because, you know, you're not always going to feel your best uh, in the net. Uh, you're going to have nights where you just feel crappy and you need a foundation and a plan to help you get through those nights. And so then I just, you know, fell in love with it. And then I got to, uh, I got to uh, work with Mitch Korn in Washington. And that was a whole different level of preparation, a whole different level of um, video, doing video. Like he was big into video and he was ahead of the curve. And then going to Hershey was where I, Scott Murray, who's now the goalie coach in Washington, he, it was him that really, really helped me in my, that point in my career and kind of taught me how to move. Move efficiently, and we we worked on tracking as a way of movement, and which is my foundation today as a coach. Um, and my time with Scotty was huge; that uh, really really opened my eyes to, to tracking, and just kind of fell in love with in, in love with the position there, where on technique and, and how to move and how it could help me. And then just kind of started coaching with Andy in the summers. Andy Kyoto was my goalie coach uh, in the summers. Well, I was training with Maddie because Andy was transitioning out of hockey. And then I started coaching with Andy a little bit. And the opportunity uh, came up after um, I was still playing in, in the Czech Republic. And I played for Troy Mann. And the opportunity came up uh, through Troy Mann and Scott Murray. It kind of all kind of connected. And I arrived here. And um, I'm really, really enjoying it. I really, really am enjoying the coaching. Uh, really, really great young prospects here with uh, the Ottawa organization, Matt Sogard, Philip Gustafson, uh, Kevin Mandelize, and Levy Marilainen, who I'm going to watch tonight, uh, plays in Kingston, our, our draft pick. 
and then getting the chance to work with Matt Murray when he came down here too. So I've been so fortunate to work with such great goalies and, and learn from them and, and try and help them along their journey. Excuse me. I want to ask about tracking and get into that, but I think we bore far well to death. We got into the nuances <laughs> you goalie, of goaltending. You goalie geeks, yeah. <laughs> but I'm going to stick with the goaltending geek question though, because you were one of the, in my mind, one of the last goalies to kind of go away from the traditional, you were the Bauer Supremes, I think they were, and they still had the knee rolls and stuff. And then they went to the flat pads. And in my mind, you were one of the last guys to go away from the knee rolls. Was it a challenge to move away from what you were used to? Yeah, I'd say probably just, just the change, right? Like I was just not a person that was always uh, open to change, probably a little stubborn. But, and same with Bauer. Like I wore Bauer equipment in my whole career. I, I, Right from when I was 16 years old, Todd Brown, the Bauer rep, came to my house in Blythe, and um, he'd hooked my brother up with a set of pads, and it was just right from there, the relationship, I, I stuck with Bauer. I wore a very similar pad for a very long time, and then um, I wasn't the most, like, but especially near the end, I wasn't as flexible and as and agile as the young guys are now, so I, that's when I really had to, I realized that how important the equipment was, and I was always I remember with Doiger like growing up like we always talked about I was always fascinated by equipment like we talked but we'd have contests like what color tape a guy uses on their stick or what kind of stick they use what curve they have what kind of helmet like Doiger and the O'Reilly brothers driving to summer hockey tournaments we'd have these contests so I was always fascinated by equipment so I realized that okay like I need to change like and get more modern essentially um because of how much of an advantage it helped uh with sealing the ice and Get transitioning into your posts, being able to, to sit in RBH, because that was a whole new technique too that had kind of came through the last five years of my career that, um, you know, you need to evolve with the game. And, and just like as a coach now, I need to continue to evolve. All right. Popper's always got like one more, just one more question. Before he gets to his, uh, let me just ask this one, because I miss Belleville a lot, really, on the OHL circuit. I, I get it. I know how it works, but how are they taken to the, the Belleville Senators, the AHL team there in Belleville? Yeah, you know, like we just clinched the playoff spot last week, so there's a lot of excitement here. Uh, the facility here in Belleville, like I'm in the office right now here in, in our coach's office. And they did an unbelievable job. Like the facility is beautiful. Like it's it's really beautiful. The, the town, I mean, the town of Belleville, I didn't know much about it. You know, I didn't really know much about Prince Edward County, but um, it's a beautiful area here. Uh, like, you know, there's lots of cool spots in the county, as you guys probably know, and uh, it's a real tourist area, especially in the summer. Um, last year, being my last year was my first year here with the team, so we were actually uh, located in Ottawa because of the COVID protocols. We only had permission to play uh, in Ottawa. We played at the CCC, the Canadian Tire Center there, but the where the Senators played. So we weren't. I wasn't actually here. So this is my first. Uh, year actually in Belleville and um, I think that you know the COVID was tough on the you know the us being away it was definitely tough uh, I know a lot you know, it was tough on the fans it was tough on the, the, the staff here they, they had to let the staff go but the staff now they brought the staff back you can tell like throughout the year just more and more increasingly more and more interest in the team here obviously us uh, in the playoff race we've had some great crowds lately and uh, it's been it's been really really cool to see you know just the energy now building up in the rink because obviously important hockey and uh, they they've done an awesome job the front office staff now too of incorporating 
minor hockey teams, things that they couldn't do, you know, in January when they're shut down, we had no fans again, right? So now that they've been able to, uh, you know, have some promotional things, uh, it's, it's been great. The energy's been great. You can really see, you know, we go down to, we travel down to Hershey, uh, you know, in January, they have 10,000 fans. We came back here, we had to play in an empty ring. So you can really see how much, how important uh, the energy and the fans are to help uh, with the atmosphere, as you guys know. That's awesome. It's good to hear. Um, my last question, and I've been saving it, kind of bringing it full circle. I can't believe we've said Doiger's name as much as we have, because I don't think he needs any excuse to have a bigger head than he already does. But this last question comes from him because he told me a story. Obviously, you guys were friends playing, being young, growing up together. You talked about it a lot. But then you guys play against each other in pro. And he was playing for Columbia. And well, I'll let you take over, Justin. Yeah, I forgot about that until right now. <laughs> well, I said I spent some time in Florida in the UKHL. And actually, it's even more full circle. Troy Manor, head coach here, was the coach of that team in Columbia, was Doyle's coach. So, uh, yeah, we were, I had a couple tough games in a row. And I, as, as we've talked about a few little bit here, I like the rough stuff a little bit. So I remember, I don't know what happened. I think it was, uh, my wires were crossing. I think we were losing 5 1. And, I had Doiger in my sights, and I don't, know, I don't know what the real – I think I just jumped him. I think I just jumped him. I, I got kicked out of the game, 10 minutes conduct. I don't know if it was even a fighting major or what, but I got kicked out of the game and had to go sit on the bus for the third period because I was too scared to go back in the rink. But, yeah, not a proudest – not one of the proudest moments. Good, good talk. Good. It was funny seeing Doiger for the first time because I didn't see him after that game. I was obviously in the bus, uh, but the first time seeing him after uh, – a good chuckle. I don't think he was too happy with me, uh, for sure, but I didn't give him a choice. I know that. I didn't give him a choice. He didn't have much of a choice to say no. He was just the first guy in sight, and I got kicked out and had a nice, probably a 12-hour bus ride back to uh, back to Fort Myers. He said he said that he was in front of your crease, and then, yeah, you. Uh, I think he got a little too close to the crease, and you jumped him. He said that he took you took him out for dinner at Cheesecake Factory after, though. Yeah, or was that another time? I don't know. He said you took him out and you bought a cheesecake. I think, I think I think what happened was probably that was the next time we saw each other. You know, that was the next time we saw each other. I probably owed him a nice dinner. Because <laughs> it was not, like I said, probably wasn't the most uh, sportsmanlike thing to do. But it was probably because I knew that I could get, it was him and, you know, I wasn't going to get, you know, I think I could handle Doiger a little bit. So. That, what a great story to, to wrap it on. Uh, Justin, this has been, it's been great. Really appreciate your time. Continued success with the senators and uh, we look forward to watching you move on in the career. Yeah. Thanks guys. Thanks for having me. It's fun. It was really cool. I, I obviously, I, I didn't really know the full connection there. Uh, Chris, so it's cool to put together and hopefully uh, we cross paths here. Uh, someday soon, guys. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all had. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.